This is Grand Admiral Thrawn, and you are listening to Rule the Galaxy, a wise decision. Hey, Star Wars fans and Rule the Galaxy fans, welcome back to Chapter 116 of the Rule the Galaxy podcast. It is Joe in the pilot seat again, uh, and we've got not only some regular great co-hosts, but we've got a special guest tonight. It's going to be an extra special co-host in this chapter of Rule the Galaxy. Um, as always, you can follow us at Rule the Galaxy SW on Twitter, uh, Rule the Galaxy SW at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, comments, everything like that, uh, or just Rule the Galaxy, no SW at the end, on uh, Facebook or YouTube. And um, we'll just start right into this. this is chapter 116. We're really excited about this episode. It's something we've been working on for a little while here, but we'll just go around the horn and uh, welcome in some of our co-hosts, Brent Dykeman. So glad to have you back. How are you doing, Brent? I'm doing good. So how, everything's good. I, I, I love the escape. Um, and I'm kind of excited to hear what our special guest that we have coming in has to say about the force. So, um, and what it can do for us. So, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Anytime we can talk the wars is a great day. I agree, Brent. I agree. No, real quick, nothing new legions this week, right? No new releases, no games that, that are going on, no tournaments. <sighs> the Yoda Wookiee saga continues. Nah, there's nothing really major. Um, there's one coming up in January the 22nd. Okay. Our group is hosting one. And other than that, no, nothing, nothing too special. Okay, good, good. Uh, I'll whip it around to one of our regular other uh, other regular co-hosts, Nick Shesky. Nick, so glad you could be here. I, I know you're middle of moves and new babies coming and all that. How are you doing, sir? Man, I'm good. I feel like I'm catching my breath a little bit. Thanks for letting me be back on. I feel, you said regular co-host. I feel like I've been MIA just between we moved houses and got another baby coming and all all kinds of stuff. But I'm good. I've been uh, I've been trying to keep up with y'all and I'm, I'm not on Twitter as much as I should be, but keeping up with some of the news and seeing it, I've been a uh, fun, fun thing I've been doing. I've been reading death troopers for the first time, which is now a really? legends book, man. It's something else, man. It's, you know, as far as uh star Wars audiobooks go, uh, it's been, it's been pretty cool. And I'm holding my breath for the Claudia gray release that she has for the new high Republic book as well too. So I've been trying to stay in touch with Star Wars, even though life's been hectic and crazy, but life is hectic and crazy for everybody. So it is. what are you going to do? It is. And we've got the holiday season and we were supposed to, and I completely forgot and I apologize, <laughs> try to wear ugly Christmas sweaters tonight. But as you said, Nick, life does get in the way. And um, that just fell by the wayside because I I've been working probably harder than I've worked in the past 10 years in this last two weeks. And it's amazing, but you know what? That's what happens when you get that Christmas rush. Before I do introduce our special guest, there was one shout out I wanted to give, and I always like to do things nice for people who do nice things for us. Um, Rebecca99.ChristmasEra or at Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A underscore DeBoer, D-E-B-O-E-R. Rebecca DeBoer does some great artwork. She sent me along some uh rebels some clone wars uh drawings of hers this is one of captain rex so i'm putting it for those of you on youtube you'll be able to check out this captain rex drawing that she did it is absolutely awesome if you're not following Re rebecca underscore DeBoer on twitter she does some great work it's just pencil drawings that she does on her own 
but she's a listener of the show and she sent sent this out and said we could post it out. And I, I just wanted to say thank you because as we know, Captain Rex is one of my guys and I thought this was a great drawing. I'm going to put a frame on it and try to find a place on this wall behind me here. So Rebecca, thank you for doing that. And thanks for giving us a good review on, um, on uh, Apple iTunes as well. So thank you so much for that. But you know what? Last week was supposed to be this young man. And we want to thank the, the Dave M. Jones for stepping in <clears throat> and filling in the void last week. But this week, we're really excited to have Stephen Kent, uh, Stephen underscore Kent 89 on Twitter uh, with us. And Stephen just, well, he's one of the hosts or the hosts of Beltway Banthas, the podcast, but he's also the author of How the Force Can Fix the World. Did I make Did I mess that up or is that right, Stephen? That all sounds exactly right. Uh, good news for everyone listening. The world has been fixed as of November 9th when the book was released. So, you know, there's really nothing else to worry about anymore. That is, that's great news. Now, I, ha I had the uh, pleasure of doing the audiobook, So I've, I've got to hear the dulcet tones of Stephen Kent uh, for the past few days before the show. And uh, man, I tell you what, the, the book was fantastic. You. Uh, you cover some great topics and we did have some questions. So we'll get to those later. But really, as we start in, we always like to find out more things about our, our co-hosts and our guests. So uh, one, as you said, you're, you're, you're recording and filming at your brother's house. So thank you to your brother for letting you fill in there and, and use his uh, mic and everything like that. But um, what, if anything, really drew you to Star Wars? What was your background in Star Wars before you got going with your podcast and this book and things like that? So I, I think like most people, it's childhood and, and just different childhood experiences. For me, I, I don't have a moment where I remember seeing Star Wars, you know, sometime in the 90s, uh, you know, take cassettes. I, I think for me, things started around 1996 with the, the release of the, the special editions, the gold box tape cassettes. And mm -hmm. me and my brother wore those babies out. Um, but I think my, my memories when I draw on them as a child were toys, Star Wars toys were my earliest memory. You know, you asked me like, what's my most special childhood memory, you know, before I, I turned 10 and it had to have been just playing with my return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker action figure out on a dirt Hill outside of our country home in North Carolina and playing King of the Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, with the other characters who was going to get kicked down, you know, and that was the, the environment that I grew up in was sort of star Wars as a sandbox, uh, coming up with your own stories and having drama between your action figures. And for me, that was the beginning. And then of course the prequels come along and my fandom matures in a way I, I get friends that also share my interests, uh, my first experience going to Star Wars in a theater for a midnight showing debut was Revenge of the Sith, 2005. I, I'm dating myself in, in the reverse direction of being very young. But, you know, 2005, Revenge of the Sith is one of my most special Star Wars memories because it was my first night out with friends my age without awesome. parents to enjoy a Star Wars movie and enjoy it we did. That is that is absolutely great. I I... Look, we one of the things that I am proud about this show, this podcast, is you have the the old fogey like me who's fifty who remembers being <laughs> six years old and seeing that 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 star destroyer come over my head and thinking, okay, everything just changed and I'm only six years old, right? <laughs> and, and then we've got Nick uh, here, who is how old are you again, Nick? Uh, 
28. 28. And so, oh, younger uh, than me. Okay. yeah. So a lot of his memories are, you know, getting those prequel toys and seeing the prequels. Yeah. And like he said, he thought in Attack of the Clones, that's what love was, right? I mean, between <laughs> so Anakin beautiful. and Padme, right? It's beautiful. Right? I still it's think beautiful. that's what it is. So, <laughs> <The chemistry>. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, we, we you have ever a walk wife. up to your wife, Nick, and just go, your skin is so smooth. Yeah, I hate sand. It's the word. You know what, Joe? That was during the day, too. I, Steven, I like that you say that, mm. you know, it was Star Wars toys. Like, yeah. when it comes down to it, I, I remember the days when the prequels, like, it must have been people not buying as many toys, because I could still go to, like, Walmart or Target. <laughs> and when my mom was going grocery shopping and say, hey, I'll see you in 40 minutes, I'm going to walk over and go find something to buy with the money that I've collected from lawn mowing or whatever, yep. and actually buy something. Now, good luck, but yeah, different day. Yeah, it, it, it definitely was. I, I always had this feud going on between my Luke Return of the Jedi and All Black and a Luke from the Extended Universe or Expanded Universe wearing red armor. Shadows like, of the Empire. Right, yeah. What was it, Dark Empire? Or? It, it was It was the Shadows of the Empire book. Shadows of the Empire. When, okay. he, when, he, uh, when he wore the Emperor, Emperor's Royal Guard uniform. Yeah. Uh, that is one of Alfie's favorite uh, action figures. And, okay. and I've got it actually on a shelf right across. I was going right to say, here. give so. it 12 seconds and Joe will pull it out and be like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you mean my, this one? My two, <laughs> my two Lukes had an ongoing feud. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that was my earliest Star Wars memories. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, we, we're going to talk uh, at some more, uh, you know, more depth on some Star Wars things, maybe some grown up discussions on Star Wars. But I think it really goes back to it's, it brings us back to our childhood. And for even me right now, it still makes me feel like I'm 12 years old when I just get to watch a movie, you know, collect something or talk to you guys about it. And I think that's the great thing about Star Wars is, is that it does that. So um, we, we, we know some of your memories. Your favorite character, who would you say your favorite character across the spectrum of Star Wars is? I, I find that changing often based on where I'm at as a person, but I tend to come back to Qui-Gon Jinn as my, my default. Uh, I, I really admire Qui-Gon Jinn just as a person, as a master. I am also just aesthetically a green lightsaber person. <laughs> and I think it's it's a little bit of all of that. It's the way that he instructed Obi-Wan. It's his skepticism as a, a Jedi who, you know, he was offered the chance to be on the Jedi Council and, and he said no. Uh, and then he became a thorn in the side of the council. I love all that about him. And I guess there's also the fact that he died way too soon as a character for him to possibly be ruined <laughs> by any by any other decisions. So he's just kind of perfect to me. Qui-Gon Jinn is my guy. <laughs> And, and going along with that, what you mentioned Revenge of the Sith earlier, and, and obviously the Qui-Gon and the Phantom Menace, um, is there a Star Wars movie that is right now at the top of your Star Wars food yes. chain pyramid right now? Uh, Return of the Jedi has been consistently my favorite. Uh, Return okay. of the Jedi, again, it's aesthetics. I really like Luke with a green lightsaber. I like that fight. I like the way that it looks, the throne room, the throne room sequence just is visually appealing and it's my favorite moment in star wars my favorite set of scenes it's it's just like the the back and forth between the space battle and the lightsaber fight mm -hmm. even down to the very specific moment like the pacing that i enjoy the pacing that i enjoy is when han 
has a plan after Leia has been shot at the shield generator to get the doors open. Mm -hmm. And he's standing over and he goes, wait, I have an idea. <laughs> and then it cuts straight to Luke and Vader, you know, hitting their sabers together really hard. I just love the way that that movie moves. And then of course there's the redemption, um, the redemption arc at the end, freaking beautiful and Darth Vader making the step forward to save his son uh, still manages to make me tear in a very authentic way. Um, I, I love everything about it. So Return of the Jedi. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'm setting Brent up. This is, this is Brent's question that he said everybody with, and I love it. So he can I, go I, with the next one. I've actually, can I pause and ask a question prior to that question? You, you may. Because, because the question that's coming to mind is as you spoke about Qui-Gon Jinn, a lot of what you spoke about came from the novels and the books. Is uh, so there's not a lot of what you were yeah. talking about with Qui-Gon. Qui Qui yeah. Sorry, I caught that from RFR. But um, <laughs> so <laughs> Qui-Gon. Um, so I would ask my my, my first question was: Is there a EU book that you feel has influenced you the most, or is there an expanded universe? We'll call them all legends, but is there something from the novel world? that you feel has been an impact or that has led you in a certain way that you call your favorite? Well, yeah, so I, I sort of have like my favorite, uh, if we're talking EU and Legends, um, I really, really love Plagueis. I, I think obviously the Plagueis book is just rich with giving us insight to who this guy could have been. However, I'm gonna go with like impactful on my life. And so going back to being a young Star Wars fan in the early 2000s, the Jedi Academy novels, mm -hmm. uh, maybe Nick, you probably remember these, um, uh, you know, the Jedi Academy novels were these very thin books. I mean, maybe just like an inch thick and they were really quick bites, the journey of Obi-Wan's apprenticeship under Qui-Gon. And my absolute favorite Star Wars story to this point is book number two, The Dark Rival, where Obi-Wan is set upon by Qui-Gon Jinn's lost apprentice by the name of Exanatos. Mm -hmm. And Exanatos is Qui-Gon Jinn's first apprentice who went dark. He's like this rich kid who <clears throat> was sort of a brat in the Jedi Order, but his family owned a mining company. And he sort of had a silver spoon mentality. And he eventually decided not to go dark necessarily, but to leave the Jedi Order and go run his family business, kind of like Dooku in a way. But he did, of course, find his way to, to the dark side through greed. Um, so he hates Qui-Gon, hates the Jedi, but he's also kind of a kind of a little spoiled millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I love that book. I love it, love it, love it. And Exanatos is a constant thorn in the side of Qui-Gon and a real wound in Qui-Gon because he was the first person he ever failed as a master. Um, and I think just down to like, he shows up in three books. Exanatos appears in The Dark Rival, a second book later on, and then in a final trilogy book where he is finally defeated. Uh, may I spoil how it ends? Because... Uh, I if finally... people haven't read it by now, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, from the no, early 2000s. 
I mean, on this podcast, I believe I'm the only one that would be spoiled by this because <laughs> the, I, I have, I am, I am a a youngling in the dark side of wow. the don't literature you, universe. You well, so I am short. too. I am too. Actually, I never read a lot of Star Wars EU books. I just spent a lot of my time with Jedi Academy and or Jedi Apprentice, excuse me. And yeah, Exanatos at the end of his sort of trilogy of books. He wants to do something that will haunt Qui-Gon forever. He wants to hurt him. And so when he loses his fight, he decides not to be defeated, but instead to commit suicide. <clears throat> and he walks off of a, a, a ledge and casts himself into fire because Qui-Gon wanted to save him. And he wanted to do something that would hurt him more. And so he killed himself. And I, I was like reading this as a 12 year old and I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, it was so yeah. good. It was so yeah. good. Yeah, that's, that's deep and dark. Okay. Yeah. Um, it is definitely something that I probably should check out. Like I said, I'm in my infancy now. I've, I mean, I've, I tore through the Bane stuff. I've talked, I've read the original Thrawn stuff. So I'm trying to get through some of the, uh, some of the literature, but I was just curious because the stuff you talk about, you would never have picked up from Qui-Gon in the movie. So I, I felt like there was at least some influence. Now, the other standing question that I always ask, and it stems from, and I always like to bring this up because Joe and his brother were just hating on Count Dooku. And they were hating on Count Dooku. They, they nicknamed him Stumpy because he got his head and his harm, hands chopped off. And then they talked about no one really even liking Dooku's lightsaber because it's got a curved little curve. Yeah. Right. So we got some, <laughs> but then they went after his lightsaber and it made me think about lightsaber hilts and like the, the shape of the hilt and how they've changed them and modified them for different people. And it kind of matches their personalities. So the question that's the longstanding question is, is there a particular hilt? You've said the color, you're a green aesthetic guy, but is there a particular hilt that has caught your eye that you would say this kind of fits where my personality is at or that you like? I love that question. Uh, Luke, Return of the Jedi, that, that hilt does it for me. The golden spirals and the coils on it are the hilt that I enjoy the most. And every time I see it, <clears throat> I want it. So that is, <laughs> that is currently the only lightsaber hilt I have mounted on my wall at home. And one of our co-hosts has one that he would run and grab and turn on. And I do mm -hmm. want to say, this is probably, I don't know, we're at 115. <laughs> We've probably had 30 guests or so on here and i want to say out of the 30 guests 28 of them have said the luke skywalker <laughs> <laughs> return of the jedi hilt i mean it's the, I mean, that is that is the iconic answer i believe okay. that we Good. if we can catalog it i'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad i'm not a minority i would yeah. ignite it if i knew where it was i'm in the move and i have yeah. no clue where it is it's somewhere around here it's in the it's in the void but i would ignite it if i knew for are you actually in the new house we're in the new house yeah it would nice. i would ignite it it's somewhere in the in the in the universe out here <laughs> i i would i would ignite my obi-wan but it's way back there and i can't reach it right now and the dog's behind me so i'm not going to get it but luke with the green to like next. palpatine's and uh palpatine's lightsaber you know it's yes. very small hilt mm -hmm. very very tiny little hilt and I always wanted to like it, but I just, I could never quite get there. It was just very silly looking, being so short. Um, a, a runner up might be Mace Windu's lightsaber because of the gold trim. I like the way that it's it's designed, but 
Yep. I'm going to go and, with R O T J yeah. green. And even the fact that it says it's etched in there that we learned later from Samuel L. Jackson that it actually says bad mother effer in the nice. on the actual hilt itself. <laughs> That's true. He actually had that engraved on the actual lightsaber hilt. Would you expect anything well. different from Samuel no. L. Jackson? I just, you know, it's it's what it is. Um, so I tell you what, we, we do have some some news items, but you know what? The we can hit on those are little things here or there, just not not even I always call them whether they're mind shattering or not. None of these shake the universe. So what I'd really like to start off with and focus on is, yes, again, I was privileged enough to to uh, check out the audio version of your book. And I guess take me take us back real quick. You know, before the book, you started the podcast. Go, listening to the book, I got to hear more about that in the start of that. But but let our listeners know, you know, what was the thing that made you start the Beltway Banthas podcast and what brought you into seeing that mixture of real world and politics and Star Wars all together that got that going? Yeah. So what made me want to start the podcast Beltway Banthas in 2016 was that I was exhausted with the current state of the election at that time. Uh, We had just gotten through the primary season for the Republicans. You know, this guy, Donald Trump, had kind of like risen up, you know, and become a a real force in the primary. He hadn't won at that point yet, but he he was rising fast. And I just found myself very tired and also very still excited about The Force Awakens, which had come out pretty recently. So my my fandom had been reinvigorated in a way. And I found that the more I talked to my friends who also work in politics like I do, I apologize, I'm losing my voice all of a sudden and it really hurts. You probably should be with with all the shows and talking and everything you've been doing. I'm going to slow down my, my speech a little bit, but... I found that we were able to talk to each other about these new Star Wars movies a lot more easily than we were able to talk about politics. Like, go figure, that's kind of how the world is. But I actually got to thinking, I was like, what if there's a premise here that people who are very different don't have anything in common about the way that they see the world, politics, this election, can sit down and talk about how much they love these movies. And then... Once trust has been established, the ice has been broken a little bit. We know that we're both people mm-hmm. and we'll maybe talk about some weighty issues. And I had a theory, which was that I could get big guests on my show. And my theory was that if I reached out to big names in media and politics, people at Fox or CNN or, or congressmen and senators, and I said, hey, I heard you're a big Star Wars fan. Would you like to talk about your favorite character in movie for an hour? And I promise I won't ask you about Donald Trump. Uh, and that was literally my strategy. <laughs> and it worked over wow, and over awesome. and over again. Because people were, like, people were like, yes, I would love to do that. Um, because at that time, people were just very exhausted. And imagine how tired we are now. So yeah, uh, yeah. So that was kind of the genesis of it. It took off, it found an audience, and it became a huge stinking part of my life. I, I think one of the things that stood out to me, and, I, and I'm sorry to inject words and thoughts into your head, was um, one, I love the theory that Star Wars is a buffer. You mentioned that in a different way, but Star Wars being the buffer where we can use that to be cohesive and yet not it still have different views on the, on the real world. But then I liked your story on Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush. You want to uh, expand on that a little bit? 
Yeah, there was a, a news cycle, and this was the news cycle that precipitated me having the conversation to start the podcast with my friend Tierso. Um, Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush were sparring in the debate stage uh, for CBS, or I'm sorry, not CBS, uh, CNBC in Denver <clears throat> during the Republican primary. And Marco Rubio has been noted to be sort of a protege of Jeb Bush. He was sort of an understudy of the former Republican governor. He really mentored young Rubio. And Rubio came for Jeb in the throat that night. He, he spared no expense in going at his old mentor. And they tore each other apart. And I think in the end, Jeb was bested. Uh, Marco Rubio really got the best of him. And in the news the next day, and I've struggled to find where I heard this, but it was on CNN. I know mm -hmm. it was on CNN. Uh, one of the commentators, one of the you know the paid political pundits, was on there, uh, and they they said you know the uh, the the apprentice has become the master, you know that kind of thing. Like you know the Padawan is now the master, and I just laughed. I laughed my head off, and I was like, you know that's just so funny because <clears throat> Star Wars is how we talk about so many things in completely benign ways. I was at a conference this past weekend and this woman who was pitching at the conference to raise money for her nonprofit was talking about how sometimes when she gets angry watching the news, she's tempted, she's tempted by the dark side to act like these people. <clears throat> and I laughed because this woman had just flown into this conference from Nigeria and I knew what she meant. We all knew what she meant. The dark side is quite literally a concept that comes from Star Wars and it's in the common parlance and language because of Star Wars. Just like when somebody says, yeah, the Padawan became the master and they say it on like CNN, that's Star Wars. Um, so we all use it in our common language. And I kind of wanted to do a project that expanded on why that is and why it's important and like worth enjoying and talking about. I, uh, do, before I just keep asking questions, Brent or Nick, anything that's popped in your head after hearing some of these great stories from Steven? Yeah, what a, one of the thoughts that I had was, I'm, I'm curious with all of the guests that you've had come on that, you know, not necessarily somebody that you would think of as a Star Wars fan, uh, but somebody that you say, I, I love that story you tell of, Hey, I promise if you come on, we'll just talk about Star Wars and that's it. Has there been anybody that has been your uh, most enjoyable or favorite guest that you've had on the show that you would say, man, it was just like, I, we hit that, we hit our time and I couldn't believe it was over. Yeah. So can I, I would like to give two because yeah. I, the, the spirit of Beltway Bampas and the spirit of my book is, is always meant to be like bipartisan and, and big tent. Um, so two guests. <clears throat> First, I absolutely loved having Glenn Beck on my show. Um, I've been a talk radio listener my entire life. I am not as conservative as any of the people who I listen to, but I just kind of culturally just, culturally just enjoy talk radio more than I enjoy listening to music when I'm driving, <laughs> um, even when it makes me mad. And I did a little back channeling. And when I was at a political conference, I, I knew Glenn Beck was going to be there. I found a friend of a friend and they reached out to his team and they said, this guy is at this conference. He's got a big podcast. They just do Star Wars and they talk about politics. And 
I was in my hotel room and I had reached out and said, I'll be there at 10 a.m. And I'd love if he could come by and be on the show. 10 a.m., the knock on my door and it's two uh, private security guards. They come in without hmm. asking. They search my room and then they they go, <laughs> all clear, all clear. And then Glenn Beck just walks into my hotel room. And, awesome. and he's huge. He's a big guy. Uh, and we talked Star Wars. It was amazing. He had his son with him. Uh, his son came in and he joined the pod for a minute. We talked about favorite lightsaber colors. We talked about you know, why he thinks millennials are still the generation that can save the world and why watching A New Hope and watching the original Star Wars trilogy is why he still believes so strongly that even when he feels doubt, that we have no choice but to believe in young people, even if we think they might be a little bit dumb sometimes. <laughs> um, and so we just talked about generational change and why Star Wars gives him hope. And if you know Blinken Beck, he can be kind of bleak sometimes, <laughs> but then he also always brings it back to hope. So that was one. That was a dream come true. The other one was an off-the-record interview that I didn't get to air on the podcast, <clears throat> but I used it to inform my book, How the Force Can Fix the World. And I got uh, on a Zoom call with Van Jones of CNN. Nice. Uh, Van Jones. Former, former Obama administration advisor on environmental issues and a CNN commentator. He still has a host today. Very far left guy, but I find him to be a reasonable and, and really heartfelt guy. And I did some research and I found out huge Star Wars fan. If you, if you look up Van Jones, The Force Awakens, he was on CNN in 2015, losing his mind about this movie. He was so excited. I have never seen hmm. a man on TV that excited about the Star War. Um, and I, I reached out to him and was like, dude, can I pick your brain about redemption and Star Wars? Because I needed to talk to somebody who could educate me on the, the road to employment and second chances after incarceration. That's a big part of Van Jones' personal work is helping people get a second chance after prison. And as a big Star Wars guy, I was like, hey, this chapter in my book on redemption is rooted in this issue. Could we talk for an hour and give me some insight into how you view Darth Vader's redemption arc and the redemption arcs of everyday people who you've met dealing with this problem? It was a freaking uplifting conversation. And I loved every minute of it. And I kind of hate that it was like an off the record kind of deal, but it was. So. <laughs> you know, uh, I think a lot of us would pinch ourselves if we could get those kind of people to talk to us about any topic. So uh, to have them talking about Star Wars and, and other big topics like that, I think that's fabulous. Uh, really excited for you that, that you got that. And, and I'm sure there's plenty of others that that were, you know, very good, very like you were shocked with, with the interviews you did and things like that. But how many, how many, um, real quick, before we get into the book, even more, how many, um, so you've been doing Beltway Banthas for now, five years. Uh, somehow that is, yeah, five years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So we, we feel good that we've been doing this for two years and, uh, and we just hit our 116th, well, tonight, our 116th episode. So you, you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You've probably got quite the catalog there. Um, 
Brent, before I ask another question, Nick asked one. Did you have anything you want to hit on real quick? I just I want to be fair and not make everybody sit and listen. <laughs> no, I, I'm good. But so the podcast turned into the book. So and I we're going to ask questions about the book. But can you give kind of some insight in how the conversations that you had on the pod? I'm sure it was stemmed from the conversations you had on the podcast. But and I'm sure it's in the book, I believe, because Joe mentioned that. But can you give us some insight on how that turned into writing a novel? And then how long does it take for you, or not necessarily a novel, but how long does it take for you to write your book? Yeah, so the podcast did not end up <clears throat> informing directly the content of the book. So I, I used the Van Jones off-the-record interview to work on my redemption chapter. I, I was mining them for ideas and ways of thinking about sin, doing wrong to others, and then what the road to, to healing looks like. But I didn't use many other interviews from the podcast to like directly reference them. I had written a draft of a chapter where I referenced interviews directly. And the, the publisher was kind of like, this feels kind of like too niche. Like, you know, like unless you're part of the audience that this would feel weird to you. So I ended up kind of redoing it all to just be like my takeaways as a Star Wars fan. And my takeaways as a Star Wars fan kind of all derived from my journey on, on the podcast. And we've had heartfelt conversations and, and political disagreements that ended in tears on, the, on our show between people on the left and people on the right who just want so badly to understand the way each other think and the way that, that they feel about them. Everybody feels disrespected and scorned. And to like talk to somebody not about, I don't know, identity politics issues in real life, but instead to talk about Finn and Ray and some of the themes in that relationship that you can build out towards real life stuff is really, really cathartic. And I, I just learned a lot about myself and Star Wars fans who don't see the world the way that I do from doing the show. Um, so it's all kind of indirect connections. And how long did it take to write the book? Uh, I wrote one chapter. And when you are writing a nonfiction book to sell to a, a proper publisher, you write a book proposal. So you write one chapter and then an outline, like a, like, you know, a framework for what the book would sure. look like. And you write a sales document. So, you know, who is your audience? And you have to do like a really deep profile of who your audience is. And then you go shopping with that proposal. So I had one chapter ready to go. I found a buyer, got a book deal. And then they said, six months, please. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, six months to turn around the book. And I cranked out seven chapters, an introduction, an epilogue, and, and two forwards in six months. And boy, I, I sleep good now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, I am, uh, you, that's, that's definitely a blessing that I do not have. Um, writing writing to me is a chore. I don't know about for the rest of the co-hosts or not, but I have always been a verbal person. I've always been, you know, I can, I can go through, I could, Joey, my son will always say, Hey, if I have to go give a 90 minute speech, you know, just, just give me a couple bullet points. I'll go for 90 minutes. Not a problem. And that's the way I've always felt, but to sit down and say, Hey, write X amount of words or X amount of chapters. Forget it. I'm, I'm done. I, the first chapter would, knock me out. So it, it's, it's so definitely, scary. A, it's so scary when you can't yeah. find words. 
Um, yeah, you have to make time. The, the only way to do it is, you know, we're busy people, we're adults, unless you're being paid to be a writer, like, you know, you're JK Rowling or something, you know, you don't have time for this garbage. And so you have to wake up at 4 a.m. or stay up late. And what I did for six months was every day I woke up at 4 a.m. And I wrote from four to six. And then my daughter would be up around 630. <laughs> um, you have to make time for it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. For those who haven't read the book, I guess if you're giving a elevator kind of rundown of, of what you feel the 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 high points are of how the forest can fix the world. What are some of the, the, the big bold faced topics you'd say, here's some things I really hit on. Here's some things that, that were really important to me and some maybe star Wars things that were related to those, those topics. I think the number one thing that stresses out just about everybody living in the world at any given time is change. They don't like the way that things are trending. They want things to go back to the way that they were before. Uh, and the rate and the kind of change that people see makes them uncomfortable. And that is absolutely the case, whether or not you are a conservative, a moderate, a libertarian, or a progressive. There are some people who say that they like change, but they don't really. They only like certain kinds of change. Um, in general, we have a, a real aversion as a species to allowing things to run their course. Um, now we're adaptable. That's what makes us human beings. It's what helps us to survive. But the primary lesson of Star Wars, if I had to pick one, <clears throat> is what drives Anakin Skywalker to hell. And it's that he was never able to accept the advice of his mother, Shmi Skywalker, when he left home with Qui-Gon Jinn on Tatooine and he knelt down before her and said, I don't want things to change. And she mm -hmm. said, you can't stop the change any more than you can stop the sun from setting. And then she said, don't look back. What did he do? <laughs> he looked back. <laughs> he, looked, he looked back and he looked back for the rest of his life and his inability to move forward to let go and to accept that there were things that were going to happen to him and people that he cared about <clears throat> in his life that he could not change. And he was willing to do anything to have that power. And we know how that ended for him. Uh, we see this plot play out in every single trilogy with different characters. Um, you can kind of trace it through yourself, but that is the key lesson of my book, which is embracing an attitude about the world and the chaos of it, that you must focus on the things which you can control, not the things that you can't. You cannot control how people will talk to you on Twitter, but you can control what you say back. <laughs> you can control whether or not, I don't know, you get vaccinated and whether or not you mask when you're going out in a certain location, but you cannot in truth control the actions of what other people are going to do. Uh, and you also cannot control when you get onto an airplane, if something bad is going to happen. So what is the point of all the freaking out when the plane is leaving the runway? What are you going to do? Nothing. <laughs> right. Um, 
you know, and it's, it, I tackle all of these things in the book. COVID very little actually, because I felt like it was too raw, but I, I kind of couched in some other issues about where people need to let go a little bit. Um, and, you know, even whether it's like China, nuclear war, you know, what's the threats rising abroad? Why? I can't lose sleep about whether or not Russia is going to invade Ukraine. Like, I have bills to pay. And if I am stressing out about those things, it's taking away from my ability to work on the things that I can control. Sure. Um, that's that's what the book is about. And it's kind of a, a long meandering, you know, seven principles way of trying to get people to realize that, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and an inability to let go. Well, I, I truly enjoyed the book and, and I will, uh, <clears throat> I will promote it to anybody and everybody. And I know uh, Alfie who can be here tonight and D-Doc who, as we're talking is at the Eagles game or with his six son, one or the other, but he'll inform us on that later on. Um, he, he really enjoyed it too. Um, I, I will say we had, we had a couple questions here real quick. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm, doing the bad thing of looking them up while I have you here in front of me. Um, so actually, and I, you know what? I had no idea how to answer this one, but um, the Dave M. Jones, who was our guest host last week on Twitter, when, when we mentioned you were coming on this week, he sent it to us and to you saying, can patients be sold in air quotes to society versus getting what we want right that second. And I thought I would throw that at you and let you speak on on that, whether it's in real world world terms or in Star Wars terms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is not necessarily this is not how I feel like politically, and this doesn't necessarily align with what I think is right. But someone was asking me the other day, or I was debating Amazon with someone the other day on my political talk show. And they were kind of making the pitch about how this is the greatest time in human history to be alive uh, because, you know, at any given moment, if I need new batteries for my TV remote, all I need to do is hop on Amazon and they'll be on my doorstep in a matter of hours. Uh, to that, I said, at what cost? What, what is the cost of you forgetting what it means to get in a car, drive 20 minutes, and stand in a line and wait to check out a pair of batteries. Like what is being lost when our society, our economy, our tech platforms are constantly pushing us towards instant gratification and getting what we want now, now, now. That's what TikTok is. I mean, TikTok, and, and I won't get started on whether or not I think it is a a PSYOP campaign by China to, to ruin our culture. Uh, but, you know, there's a reason that those videos hit you like pow, 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 um, because they don't want you to have to wait. And if you wait in between videos, people close the app. Um, do you know what China is doing to their TikTok for Chinese users? They're putting ads in between the videos that are patriotic, like patriotic, like pro-state ads. And they're also putting in video content about science and exploration in between the addictive videos because 
they don't want their kids watching these videos like zombies. So yes, there is a way to sell patience to people. And it's by saying no to instant gratification technologies. Um, but that's not how our society works. And the only way to have the opposite might be totalitarian means. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's not good. Um, and that's, that's kind of where I'm struggling right now is like, what is the freedom-based solution to yeah. selling patience? Because right now I, I kind of only have like Darth Vader instincts for how to sell patience. <laughs> Go ahead, Brent. So all of that triggered in my mind, I'm an educator. So I work in a school setting and I see teenagers all the time and they are addicted to themselves and they're addicted really to themselves. I, I think I said it correctly. <laughs> I was going to rephrase you're, it. You're fine. But, no, you're right. But, but they truly are addicted to themselves. They they're on the Instagram and they take the 45 pictures and just to make it sure that their picture looks right. And they don't care about what message they're sending they or sending they just care how many likes and how many things that they get in return they care about themselves and we're so egocentrical so my question i guess comes from the book what would the force say to this egocentric society how could the force and from your studies what would the force what what could we do to overcome that egocentric mindset that has grasped teenagers is it yeah, more so, like Jedi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i well first of all you know the jedi th there's a couple different answers to this question so i'm going to try to answer them somewhat concisely but there is a reason that the jedi uh abstained from romantic relationships it was because they could not uh account for what might happen when people enter romantic relationships where people get attached and they have feelings and they want to, you know, you know, control relationships and all that stuff. We know what happened with Anakin. The Jedi generally accepted that what you put into yourself is going to be part of what you put out. And so by abstaining from those kinds of things, you were not going to put those things back out into the world. <clears throat> so there is a very simple message there, which is abstention. You know, the Dalai Lama and, and you know, <laughs> Buddhist and Hindu monks, right? Like they practice this. Mm -hmm. They practice living without. They practice giving up material possessions because when you give up those things, then you start to focus on the transcendent life experience. The Sith believe in indulgence. The dark side is indulgence and gratification above all else it's two competing versions of what is freedom. Is freedom getting everything that you want or is freedom freedom from want? And the light side is freedom from want. Um, so that's one. You've got to just put these things away because they affect your free will. Uh, the second is in the book's chapter on redemption. And in short, what we learn about redemption in Star Wars, the idea of how people become force ghosts <clears throat> and sort of transcend into the afterlife, become those blue shimmering ghosts, is not that they have their sins wiped away or that they're deemed perfect people by the cosmos. That's not it at all. We learn through the Clone Wars animated series, the only path to being a force ghost 
is to transcend your ego <laughs> and to transcend your hubris. And how do the characters do that? By literally facing and recognizing their own inner darkness and realizing that it's an equal part of themselves. What does that mean for everyday people? It means to remember that when you put a Facebook filter on your photo, when you use a, a touch-up thing to clean up your face, <clears throat> you are hiding the part of you that is essentially you, and you are building yourself a sense of ego and hubris that is not connected to reality. Um, the Jedi way and the path towards full knowing of yourself is acceptance of yourself and the warts and all. Yoda had to face a dark Yoda mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the force realm. And he had to look at dark Yoda and he had to go, you are not real, but you are also me. Like you're not a monster. You're not this thing that crawls out from under the bed. You are me. And because you are me, I own you, right? It's that ownership, not the saying, ah, you know, he's, he's someone else. Do you get what I mean? Like, yeah. that's how you overcome ego is you have to have a sense of your flaws. <laughs> Nick, go ahead. Steven, I'm just curious. I, th I think this is such a good topic. I'm curious, like, do you think we have the ability to actually do that? Like, I know that that's a lofty question, but I'm just curious, like, like to overcome ego and to like, like, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not possible. What I'm getting at is like, without a driving force outside of ourselves, do you, do you believe that that's possible to do that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that it's possible only based off of reading from the very few limited people on this earth who have hmm. done these things and sought to do it. And when I, I mean that, I mean like the Dalai Lama and Emperor Marcus Aurelius, like you know, just <laughs> these giants of history who have kind of everything that they need or reframed the things that they need uh, to just live a spiritual life. So do I think it's possible? Yes. Do I think the world is built for it? No. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that I could possibly live this life that I want to live unless I were to move my family out into the woods. Um, but I need like skills <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and I also need to be able to not die of starvation. Uh, <laughs> so like, I don't know. I mean, my entire job, my life as a political commentator is infused with ego. I, I, it's impossible to not be concerned with. Um, and I strive every single day to try to kill it. I try every single day to work on, on minimizing it. Um, so that's my yes and no answer. I think we are capable of amazing things and we can transcend certain spiritual experiences, but the world is not built for it. And it's not built for it for a reason. It's because people make money on making it not possible. <laughs> You know, I, I will say this, I've met so many young people who, as Brent said, are addicted to themselves. I think that was very well put. That's, uh, you know, I have, I have kids and, and I coached and I've, I've been a substitute teacher and I've been around a lot of young people and, and you are correct, Brent. It's a very focused thing about themselves. 
and and I hate to say it, but I've always been very immature, very childlike, and maybe that's why I like Star Wars so much. I don't know because it was made for twelve year olds. Um, but it you know it took me to turn fifty to sit there and say, I, you know, I'm at a point where I do have these things and I don't need more and I don't need this. And it, it, it's like, wow, you reach these maturity level, different things in your life to where now I'm still a goofball and I still say whatever I want. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just goofy, but you do come to certain points in your life where these things click in and reading Steven's book, I was sitting there going, yeah, gosh, you know, exactly like you're talking about those conversations between people who are very far right wing and very far left wing. It used to be that it would, for me, turn into a fight, right? We would start arguing. And now it's at a point where it's like, hey, how about, uh, let's do this. You give me a few things you want me to hear. See if it, if it filters through and I get it and I, and I can understand it. And I'll do the same to you. And, and let's, let's have a conversation and say, well, I've never looked at something that way before, <laughs> or, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can tell you something and it bounces back and, and I see maybe my hubris and my thoughts. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so it, it, it is an age saying it's a wisdom thing. Unfortunately, we were all teenagers at once. We we're all in our twenties at once. And we don't always have that, but your book did point out a lot of those things in those discussions where I, I thought, man, this is kind of hitting right at home because this thing that I love in star Wars, I've always felt like is made for, again, to make us all feel 12 again, but it's got yeah. religion and politics all wrapped up into it to where as you get older, you see those things that maybe a 12 year old wouldn't see. So sorry, I went on my soapbox there, but uh, go ahead, Brent. So you mentioned something about wisdom and age and I, they're not mutually exclusive. They're not, they're no. not solely connected. You can have, you can be wise as a 12 year old and have those good conversations and the open-mindedness and and then you could be not wise as a 65 70 year old and be closed off to that stuff so wisdom I, of I think is is right so I, it, when you said it it just made yeah. me think like i've had plenty of conversations with people that are older than me that are not as wise as i would have the conversations mm -hmm. did not follow the wisdom that i would hope to have gotten from yeah. that conversation um, so I like, I was just a distinction that popped out oh, yeah. of my head is I, I want to make sure like you 12 year olds can be far more wise to what's going on in the world if they choose to be than that's some what, that's what chapter one is about, you know, chapter one of the book is about intellectual humility and why children have so gosh darn much of it. And it's because they're actually open to learning and listening. Yes. They don't feel shame unless, you know, they've, they've been conditioned to about getting something wrong or learning a second language and stumbling over words. But boy, it's really hard when you're older because it's kind of embarrassing to learn Spanish once you're yeah. once you're a grown person because you can't talk. Um, <laughs> no one likes that. Like that's what chapter one of the book is about. And I was thinking more on on uh, Nick's question, you know, about like how do we do that? And my mind kind of drifted as, as Joe is speaking to another point that I make in the book about overcoming self-obsession and y'all the answer is you got to have kids <laughs> i mean I, I talk about this all the time and you know i'm it's i don't mean to like alienate anybody in your audience who, who doesn't have kids doesn't want kids or won't have them but like having children is how you take the focus of life off of me, me, me. Mm -hmm. And it becomes about somebody else. And 
when I see people on Twitter screaming after all these years still about The Last Jedi and <laughs> they want they want to be validated. They want people right. to like finally submit to their view. They want to be heard. They don't want to listen. They don't want to listen. I I've picked up a little <laughs> bit of a trend with the people who are the loudest and most constant about keeping these battles going. Cause I, you know, I look into them and I kind of profile them a little bit. And it's conservative video game boys who don't have a girlfriend and they don't have any kids. And this is, <laughs> this is everything to them. Um, and, you know, kind of hyper progressive, like woke 20, 30 year olds who uh, are still, you know, uh, kind of dating around and aren't getting married. And this is everything for them. And y'all, you know, Star Wars is about passing the lightsaber down to the next generation. It's about handing it off from, from Anakin to Obi-Wan to Luke to Rey. Otherwise, there's no point to any of this. Mm -hmm. uh, my Star Wars fan was, fandom was reinvigorated by having a child. It had gone to sleep and then the Force Awakened <laughs> uh, because I got to share the great teachings of the good texts with my kid. <laughs> it, it reawakened my fandom in an in a adult way, in a way that wasn't self-serving, in a way that wasn't selfish. It was about someone else. And you know, I'm sorry, but like a big thing of Star Wars is, is responsibility and passing on what you've learned. And I just am a little bit tired with this fandom discourse about like you being gratified as a 50 year old, you know, like this isn't about you anymore. Like we want you to enjoy the movie. I want you to love it, but it's way more important that the 12 year old loves it. If they love it, then yep. Star Wars is doing okay. <laughs> 100%. Go ahead, Brent. I just, there, there was a Twitter comment because you bring up the, la, the last Jedi and it was yeah. just, the, it was just quote unquote, the last Jedi day this week. Um, <laughs> it was. Oh, it, 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 yeah. And some, and I'm not on Twitter that much. I might have been, been on Facebook, but somebody was like, this day will go down as the worst day of my life. I went there, it was rainy and I left. I went in there, it was cold and rainy and I left and it was just as cold and rainy. And my response back was, it's never going to compare to the day that I lost my mother. Like, like let's put it in perspective. It's yeah. a movie. It, it's a movie, but yeah, yeah. it has meaning. And like, I might have gone a little too cold with that one, but I was like, it, I'm sorry. It's, no, it's, I, it, you're within your rights. This, yep. this, this me, 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 um, hyperbole style of, of existing in the online world, it's not right. And, and people should not think or talk that way. These are films and our being can be wrapped up in them very much. But, you know, what we do in our lives, what we create, what we share the kid who we help teach how to whip out the plastic lightsaber and then finally cram the plastic back into the hilt because it never it never goes unless you do it just right unless you are doing that in your life you will not be a happy star wars fan i guarantee it um, and so i'm not out there chiding like people out there who are childless what i am saying is you get out of the world what you put in. And so maybe you need to like mentor your ne nephews and nieces. Maybe you need to just go spend some time in a soup kitchen. Maybe you need to go out and serve some people because 
life is not about sitting on a couch and waiting for a filmmaker to send you the movie that's yeah. going to make you feel like a kid again. Cause I have news for you. It's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you we've, <clears throat> we've had discussions not only about the last Jedi, but just overall discussions about the different um, trilogies. And I have a great experience because yes, I was lucky enough to grow up and go see the original three in the theater, but then I was super lucky while so many people my age were hating the prequels, um, my son was six, nine, and 12, just like I was six, nine, and 12. He was yep. that for the prequels, just like Nick. And I got to watch it through his eyes. And I got to see exactly what you were talking about to where these movies might not have, they were made for me because they were a story attached to what I grew up with, but they were made for him. Right. And it's his journey now to where I'm watching him go through it. And then well, the funny thing was, is Ryan McGee from ESPN, who was our guest recently, he said, guys, I mean to tell you, the sequel trilogy, 50-year-old Joe, 40-year-old Brent, 30-year-old, 28-year-old Nick, they're not 100% for you, but we still want you to enjoy those. But his, how old was his daughter? Like eight? Yeah. So, so, we we got to buy the tickets enough to... Want correct. To go, correct. But but but, yeah. but she he said correct. she she walked out of the sequel or the yeah the sequel trilogy saying this is mine right these are my stories and while we we've all discussed it we know I'll, I'll just speak more than I probably need to but the last Jedi is probably one of my least favorite Star Wars movies but to me I'm still gonna watch it and it's still part of Star Wars it's not like I'm one of those yeah. like you said twenty something guys on his couch in his mom's basement saying burn it we should start a new trilogy no that's not how it works in the world right yeah. Look, we're, we're moving forward this is where we are the star wars we have Skywalker was yeah. the most disappointing movie i've seen in a long long time i was on my birthday i took my my dad my stepmom my daughter my best friend my wife and we all went and i was like this is it guys and i left the theater stony silence just like i had just been like had a bucket of water dumped on me <laughs> and what i i had to do in that moment was what i've done with other star wars things which was i held my tongue because i was in the presence of an 11 year old mm -hmm. who had just seen a movie that she <laughs> thought was really special <laughs> and you know like there's a there's a certain i experienced it as a kid with the prequels going to the comic book shop and I wanted to buy a toy of, of Captain Panaka. And I remember like getting the Captain Panaka toy. And I remember one of those Gen Xer fans, one of the older guys dumping on it and dumping on me. And I'm a kid and I just want a Star Wars toy. I, I just, I don't believe in passing that forward. You know, mm -mm. I, I hated the Rise of Skywalker so much, but <laughs> I saved my commentary for when I went and hung out with my best buddy and got a drink. But, you know, it's so selfish when, especially when you're like in the presence of children to like <laughs> make it about you and, you know, do a film criticism instead of just asking your kid, like, what did you think? Yeah. Did you like that? And they go, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> we we all want our kids to have somebody. I mean, yes, we want them to look up to us, but we want them to have heroes to look up to as well. And and yeah. so that's exactly right. So Nick, Brent, any any thoughts on yeah. on those the sequels and other things like that? No. Yes. 
I, okay. um, Go ahead, Steve. I, I try not to editorialize too much with my daughter because um, I, I talk about Star Wars all the time. I, but I want her to come to her own opinions. And I do not pop off about the movies in her presence. And the other day, the other day she came to me and she wanted to talk about The Last Jedi. Uh, and I, I went, oh, what's on your mind, kiddo? And she had choice words about Luke Skywalker. And, and I, I went, okay, tell me more. Yeah. Um, but you know, you don't, you gotta be careful not to like lead them. Like, I yeah. want you to say this. I just was like, tell me. And she got to the end of her speech, this little 11 year old speech of hers. And she was not pleased with the heroic character of Luke Skywalker and his choices. And I was like, Oh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you gotta, you gotta let them find their own way. <laughs> but Stephen, that's what you're talking about. Like, what what you're describing there is something that I do feel is missing. Is, uh, you know, as opposed to just giving a giving an opinion, asking a question, and being inquisitive and going, "Hey, tell me about your experience and your perspective," and you know the. Yeah, the part of the reason why I asked that question of, you know, can you do, can we get past ego? What can you do? I, I, I could talk more about that, but base level, it's, it's the idea of, man, there's a lack of just being inquisitive and going, okay, here, I, I know my perspective, but my perspective is just a small sliver of the pie when it comes down to it. And so, Hey, tell me, tell me about your perspective and what you see and, and what you like and what you think is good. And, you know, uh, I'll give you a small example. I'm a uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man fan, yeah. just because that's what I grew up with, right? Yeah. Uh, objectively, those are not as good as the new Spider-Man movies that are out. Yeah. And yet there are kids in the youth group that I work at that love Tom Holland and don't even know Tobey Maguire and talk mm -hmm. about how it's the greatest end all be on. Well, tell me more about that. Why do you like him? Oh, you just think he's attractive. Okay. Well, cool. Great. You, that's for <laughs> you. You're allowed to have that. Like, I don't, I don't think Tom Holland is attractive uh, <laughs> for good reason, but you know, like that's just, you know, that's, that's part of it. So I'm, I'm with you. There's a, there's an in, just a general inquisitiveness, I guess that's lacking and missing. Do you ever, have you ever sat in traffic before? and looked over at the person in the car next to you and thought that I am just a person in the periphery of that person. Wow. You know, like that person has their own freaking story. Yeah. They're on the way to work. And I am just a person, an NPC off to the <laughs> side. <laughs> and I, I, I think about that sometimes. And like, it's like one of those, like, whoa, yeah. like, you know, it's, we ego is is natural ego is the human experience and there you have to have moments of stillness and listening and calm to remember like you're a bystander to someone else's story mm -hmm. right. <laughs> I've, I've had that happen at restaurants before where you Say sit what? there and you i've had that happen at restaurants before where yeah. you sit there and you realize every person that i'm for the most part every person that i'm sitting in this restaurant with i will never see them again <laughs> like it's uh it's just it's just you know, we, we are passing in time right now and you have your own narrative and your own story and your own set of things that have raised you to this point. And 
Of course you believe what you believe. Of course you see the see things the way that you see. Your story has led you to that point. So yep. that's and Nick, I, I love that that while we're doing this and for those on YouTube, they can see the sign behind you. That goes so well along with the question you asked of Stephen and some of his answers right there. So uh, for those of you on YouTube, you'll get a kick out of the sign behind Nick right now. So um, I did have a question from uh, D-Doc, one of our one of our co-hosts who's probably celebrating right now the Eagles victory over the over the Washington football team. I almost I almost went there. I almost said the wrong nickname. <laughs> Um, he said he wanted to know if there was a star, a star Wars character that you linked to any specific political figure in history. Hmm. So no, not off the top of my head. However, I have been talking a lot lately about the interesting politics of Count Dooku as sort of a, a separatist intellectual so one thing that I really recommend any Star Wars fan do to learn more about Count Dooku and the Separatist movement <clears throat> is to go get the book Star Wars Propaganda by Pablo Hidalgo. It is a, uh, a, a like a resource guide book, you know, so like you could get like Star mm -hmm. Wars character guide books. Star Wars Propaganda is an in-universe canon guide of the political persuasive art of the galaxy. And the book charts how artwork from the time of the prequels all the way to the time of the First Order is used throughout the galaxy to move the events of history. And the book outlines how the Republic used propaganda, posters, and TV ads to affect the opinions of people about the separatist movement. It also outlines how people in the separatist worlds were made to think about the Republic. And you learn in this book that Count Dooku was a really sincere separatist. Like he really believed the Republic to be corrupt, uh, to be morally bankrupt, and the Jedi to be the enforcers of the corrupt regime. And he traveled the galaxy speaking on college campuses. Uh, he was a, a noted campus intellectual um, who traveled the galaxy, was protested at numerous uh, places closer to the inner, inner core world. So the closer he got to Coruscant, the more protests his speech would his speeches would get. You know, you don't have to wow. imagine kind of like where I'm going here. You know, it's just. <laughs> He was a controversial guy going from campus to campus talking about secession. Um, and yeah, like, I don't know, pick pick a, a conservative or libertarian who you've heard of getting canceled on college campuses. Maybe it's Jordan Peterson or something. But, uh, you know, he was sincere in his beliefs. Uh, and I don't know and fully understand exactly how aligning with the Sith played into his calculus, but he believed separatism to be a virtuous uh, and moral cause. And so did a lot of people in the galaxy. So that's kind of like where my mind goes on that question is Count Dooku is um, a really interesting political character. So <laughs> You know what's going to happen? We started off joking about Stumpy way back when, and we're basically going to turn into a Count Dooku fan club here and <laughs> cosplay and shirts because it's between the Dooku Lost Jedi and the 
master and apprentice and things like that. We've all found some more real in-depth things on him. And if I'm not mistaken, and I'll go right to you, Nick, in Plagueis, he really was leaning towards that separatist saying his plan wasn't to join into the Sith. It was, he was more drawn in when, when he, when Maul got taken out, it was like, well, I've got this backup guy who I'll go get if I need him, but it wasn't his, his forefront plan. Right. So Nick, go right ahead. Yeah. I was just going to speak to that saying he's never really the actual, like he's just a placeholder, but Joe, you remember when we did the breakdown of dark disciple and that moment where he's on that planet, I can't remember. Of course, I can't remember the name of it right now as we talk about it, where he's, you know, standing in front of a giant crowd and a thunderous applause Crazy, who are yeah. all cheering on secession because, yeah, the, the tyranny of the Republic has taken us and, you know, we should be free out from underneath the yoke. And so, no, I agree with you, Stephen. I think he's a he's a deep character that unfortunately uh, was portrayed by one of the greatest and yet unfortunately was, you know, fodder for lightsaber dismemberment. <laughs> No, no, I got you. Well, I tell you what, I think we've hit on tons of stuff here and I, and I did only plan to go for an hour here, but see, you know, Steven, thank you uh, so much for your time. And uh, guys, any, any closing thoughts from any of you guys? Cause we've, we've gone for about an hour and 15 and I didn't want to take Steven's time this much here, but any, anything you guys have to close up the show, any closing thoughts or anything star Wars related you want to hit on before we go? No? Nothing for me. Brent. I love it. Yeah. It's a great show. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. Steven, how about you? Where where can people follow you? Where can people get to you? Where can people go buy your book? Because I will I will tell you, I will praise yeah. it and tell people it's a great fun read. Uh, where where are some you. things that people can connect with you and, and hopefully make you some money? Yeah, well, I, I don't make any money off book sales, but I do really want the book to actually sell. That feels good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so How the Force Can Fix the World, Lessons on Life, Liberty, and Happiness from a Galaxy Far, Far Away is on sale wherever you get books. Uh, so if they don't have it at your Barnes and Nobles, request it. If they don't have it at Books a Million, request it, uh, and they'll send it right in. You can also hop over to Amazon right now. They've got it $8 off, so it's only 20 bucks for the holiday season to go grab a copy right now. It's also on Audible, like you mentioned. I recorded the audiobook myself, so you can listen to me read the entire book with a little bit of flair and music in between each chapter. It's really beautifully done. And besides that, you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Kent 89 and follow my Substack newsletter. It's politicizeme.substack.com. That's politicizeme.substack.com. There we go. There we go. Well, I tell you what, it's it's been our honor and our pleasure to have you as a guest. And I know there was some timing things in the past that kind of got us. Oh, thank you so much for the reschedule. And I no. apologize to you and your audience for the, the change up. No, no, it was it was our pleasure and not a worry at all. We've had some great guests in between while we were lining this up. So uh, thank you again for that. For our listeners, for our co-hosts tonight, Brent and Nick, thank you guys for always giving us a, a listen, giving us a view on, on YouTube. Let me tell you something. Steven's a great guy and he's, you know, giving us his time. So go and support him and his thank book. You. No worries. And, um, you know, just thanks for being around with us for 116 chapters. It's hard to believe, but, uh, and guess what guys book of Boba Fett comes out next week. So we'll see you Let's go. One week. <laughs> um, 
So everybody, again, follow us at Rule the Galaxy SW on Twitter, Rule the Galaxy SW at gmail.com. Reach out, give us some comments. You know, um, if you feel like giving us a, a nice little comment on, on Apple iTunes, anything like that, we'd love to have that. Follow us uh, on YouTube and on Facebook at Just Rule the Galaxy. And thanks again to Steven. Until next week, may the force be with you.